This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, editor-in-chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And uh, today I have the great pleasure of speaking uh, once again with uh, Jason Wright, who is the chief of uh, the Division of Gynecologic Oncology in the uh, Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at uh, Columbia University um, Irving Medical Center. Uh, welcome, Jason. Thank you, Pedro. So, Jason, really uh, very interesting and, and obviously uh, impacting and relevant topic. Um, this uh, podcast is going to be on a recent publication you had uh, titled uh, Trends in Use and Effects on Survival of Simple Hysterectomy for Early Stage Cervical Cancer in the uh, Journal uh, Obstetrics and Gynecology. And um, Jason, I wanted to just start off by asking you as to put put this topic in, in perspective in regards to the, the, the relevance of this important question with regards to the management of patients with early uh, cervical cancer as to whether these patients really need a, a radical hysterectomy uh, versus a, a simple uh, hysterectomy. Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much, Peter, for highlighting our, our work. I, I think as far as the, the, the relevance, I think it's well known that patients with early stage cervical cancer uh, overall have an excellent prognosis. Uh, traditional surgery for these patients has been radical hysterectomy with on-block resection of the uterus and the surrounding tissue, including the parametria and, and upper vagina. Um, over the last decade, there, there have been a number of, of small studies um, that have suggested that patients with early tumors and favorable pathologic factors have a very low risk of parametrial spread. So based on, on that data, I think it follows quite naturally that these patients may be candidates for, for less radical surgery where the parametria is preserved, such as either simple hysterectomy or conization. And this is due in large part to reduce the morbidity um, that, that is associated with radical hysterectomy. Um, I think, however, despite the, the rationale for this approach, the data to date has largely been based on small case series. So this is one of the, the first larger trials uh, looking at, at really the safety of simple hysterectomy in this population. So Jason, um, and obviously we know that there are a, a number of ongoing uh, studies, prospective studies, um, evaluating the role of conservative management in patients with early cervical cancer. We have the, the CONSERVE trial that just uh, finished accrual, uh, the randomized trial, the SHAPE, um, and the GOG-278 trial. So my question is, were, were you trying to answer a different question uh, with this study, or can we consider your, your study obviously a pivotal work in answering a question on conservative management? Uh, and I was wondering if you can speak as to the similarities and, and differences between those studies and, and yours. Yeah, I, I think in essence, all, all three of these studies in our, our study are, are really trying to tackle a similar question. In essence, um, we're trying to compare simple versus radical hysterectomy for one with stage 1A2 and, and small 1B1 cervical cancers. As I said, to date, most of the prior work has been really on small institutional case series. Um, our study is a, an observational study um, meant to examine not only the, the current patterns of care and look at the uptake of simple hysterectomy, but also to compare the outcomes of simple versus radical hysterectomy. Uh, both the, the CONSERVE trial and GOG-278 are prospective cohort studies, um, which will again uh, address the safety of either simple hysterectomy or conization with, with nodal evaluation for 1A2 and 1B1 tumors. And uh, the SHAPE trial is a, a randomized trial uh, that will compare simple versus radical hysterectomies in, in a similar population. Uh, so in essence, all, all of these studies, I, I think, will be complementary and, and hope to address this question of conservative surgery. 
And and what were your in inclusion and exclusion criteria when analyzing this large um, uh, data set of patients? Yeah. So we selected uh, women with stage 1A2 and, and 1B1 tumors that were less than, than two centimeters in, in diameter. Uh, the cohort was limited uh, to women with squamous cell, adenosquamous, and adenocarcinomas. And we only included those women who underwent primary surgery with either a simple hysterectomy or, or a radical hysterectomy. So we did not directly address colonization in, in this study. Uh, we also excluded any women who underwent neoadjuvant uh, therapy, either with chemotherapy or radiation, to try to shrink a tumor preoperatively for the procedure. Uh, so all of these patients ha had primary surgical therapy with radical or simple hysterectomy. And, and Jason, if you can speak a little bit about um, the study analysis, and, and specifically if you can explain uh, for for many of us the, the, the concept of the importance of uh, propensity matching in this type of uh, patient population. Sure. Yeah, with, with any observational study like, like this, it's obviously a, a non-randomized trial. So one of the major limitations um, is that you have non, the non-random allocation of, of treatment. Uh, essentially, what a propensity score is and propensity score methodology is a statistical technique that allows you to balance covariates uh, between treatment groups that go into to treatment selection. Uh, so the propensity score allowed us to balance the, the measured covariates uh, between simple hysterectomy and radical hysterectomy groups to try to mitigate uh, selection bias uh, that may have been, been present in selecting either a simple or a radical hysterectomy. And when you looked at all of these patients, um, and, and remind us again, what was the total number of patients evaluated in the study? How many actually underwent a simple hysterectomy versus a radical hysterectomy? It was one, one would think that when looking at a, a large data set like this, most patients would undergo a radical hysterectomy, and, and I don't think that was the case. Yeah, we were definitely somewhat surprised by, by this finding. So the, the data set that we used is the National Cancer Database, which captures around 70% of incident cancer cases in the United States. Uh, so we were able to identify uh, 1,530 women uh, with stage 1A2 cervical cancers. And among the 1A2 cohort, 45% of the population underwent simple hysterectomy. And we noted that the rate of simple hysterectomy rose over time. So from 38% in 2004 at the start of the study, up to 53% by 2014. Uh, we also identified uh, 3,931 uh, women with, with small 1B1 tumors, less than two centimeters in, in diameter. And in that cohort, the rate of simple hysterectomy was, was 35%. And we saw a similar trend of an increasing uh, rate of, of simple hysterectomy from 30% in 2004 up to uh, a peak of 44% in, in 2013. Uh, so we were, were certainly surprised uh, of the frequency with which a simple hysterectomy was performed in, in these patients. And, and as a follow-up to that, Jason, I mean, 44% of patients with uh, 1B1 uh, cervical cancer undergoing a simple hysterectomy, I mean, it seems like these numbers are quite high. Um, why do you think that might be the case? And why do you think that there's an increasing trend in the use of simple hysterectomy in these patients when this is not really part of the, the standard recommendations? 
Yeah, yeah. I think that the reason it, it, for the high rate of simple hysterectomy, it's probably multifactorial. There are probably a number of factors that, that are at play here. I think first, um, you have to recognize that this is an observational study. So these were not patients who were, were selected and underwent preoperative evaluation for small tumors. So I think undoubtedly, um, some women in the cohort probably had occult unrecognized tumors, and they underwent a, a simple hysterectomy inadvertently. Um, I think second, um, probably there a number of patients that were treated at centers or by physicians who, who lacked the technical expertise to perform a radical hysterectomy and didn't have access to, to high-quality gynecologic onca- oncology care. And then I think, lastly, there's probably a percent of the, these patients that, despite the fact that the data is limited uh, for the safety uh, of conservative surgery, I think there is a, a fairly strong rationale that could be made for the safety of less radical procedures. And I suspect that, that many physicians have started to adopt less radical surgery uh, in this setting, even though the, that high-quality safety data is really not yet available. Jason, you alluded um, in in your previous answer here to the issue of the centers, and I noted that women treated at community centers were more likely to undergo a simple hysterectomy, and also that black women were more likely to undergo a simple hysterectomy as compared to white women. Why why do you think that might have been the case? Yeah, again, it's it's probably a number of factors. I, I think you know these findings probably um, a large degree uh, of access to high quality gynecologic oncology care. So patients at at, at small community hospitals uh, may not have been able to access high quality gynecologic oncology care, and also uh, you know vulnerable populations, so underrepresented minorities, underinsured patients, uh, typically have more difficulty receiving high quality gynecologic oncology care. Uh, so I think that it's probably an issue of access to care. And I think also you know, for these high-risk populations, they probably are at higher risk to have occult cancers that just weren't detected or evaluated preoperatively. And these cases may have been unrecognized in the, the preoperative period before the, the surgical route uh, and radicality was chosen. And Jason, as, with regards to the follow-up, one of the things obviously we always are concerned about is that you know making an assumption or a conclusion about these uh, these types of studies is that perhaps we didn't follow patients long enough. And I noted that sure. there was actually a medium follow-up of 56 months, which is actually uh, quite good. Uh, do, do we have uh, medium follow-up times for the patients who had simple versus radical hysterectomy? Yeah, that, that's a good question. We're actually, uh, I just looked at this question this morning. So we are going back and, and I will get you those numbers. Um, they are similar and the cohort goes all the way back to 2004. So it, it is a, a relatively long follow-up time. And it was, was relatively balanced between the 1A2 and the 1B1 patients, as well as between the simple and, and the radical patients. But we're going back and, and looking at the numbers now. And and, uh, and one of the things also that I noticed was, uh, and I think you alluded to this a, a little bit earlier, is that, you know, and I think it's important for, for our audience to, to understand is that um, this study and the study population seen here is not the same type of population that would generally will be selected specifically for simple hysterectomy. Uh, looking at predetermined criteria. In other words, that a lot of these patients are patients who sort of like by mistake had a simple hysterectomy rather than an intended his simple hysterectomy. Um, w- would you agree with that? 
Yeah, I think it's a very valid point. You know, this is an observational cohort study. Um, you know, these patients represent this represents real world data in essence. So I think you probably have that population that had occult unrecognized tumors at the time of surgery, and I think probably also people are 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 applying less rigid selection criteria in choosing patients for simple hysterectomy um, than what you'll see in in the the prospective evaluations and studies that that are ongoing. So I, I think you know our results may be different than than what we see in the the prospect the three prospective trials that that we mentioned, just purely based on selection criteria and who's undergoing the procedure. And um, and one of the things that you also mentioned, uh, and I know obviously you included patients with one A twos and one B ones, that you mentioned some of the limitations of this study is the concern for underpowering to answer uh, the question in patients with stage one A two. Would would you comment on that? Yeah, I think, you know, not surprisingly, especially for the 1A2 patients, prognosis was excellent. So when you look across the, the groups, it largely varied from around 95 to 98% for the, the two groups. So even though our sample size w was large, um, you know, we don't have the statistical power to detect a, a small difference in, in survival. So you need a much lar a larger sample um, to be able to detect a survival difference in, in the 1A2 population. I think the, the other, along the same lines, the other concern that comes comes up about this is when you, when you look at the, the stage 1B1 patients, the survival differential is around 3 to 4%. So even the, the uh, ongoing prospective trial, the, the SHAPE trial, would not be powered to detect that degree of difference. So I think one of the, the difficulties in studying this question overall is it's a very favorable prognosis group of patients. And I think as gynecologic oncologists, we have to, to make a decision on, on what we would define as a clinically meaningful difference in survival before we could accept uh, less radical surgery. And, and Jason, you, and obviously in your conclusion, um, some you know fairly powerful information, uh, and, and you state that there was a 55% uh, increase in the mortality for women with stage 1B1 cancer who underwent simple compared to radical hysterectomy, and in your concluding sentence is radical hysterectomy remains the treatment of choice for women with stage 1B1 cancer. So with that, uh, you know, as, as we evaluate this question and, and still not having the data from the uh, prospective studies, um, the take-home message from your study, should, should we change our current practice based on, on the results of the study, particularly for patients with tumors less than one centimeter? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think based on, on this, I, I think our findings are reassuring that for the 1A2 cohort, that survival was relatively simple. I think that the certainly the study raises safety concerns for simple hysterectomy in, in women with stage 1B1 tumors. I think, you know, based on this, patients considering simple hysterectomy for 1B1 tumors, um, especially if it's outside of the setting of a clinical trial, really need to be counseled about the potential adverse effects on safety of the procedure. And I think we recognize the, the limitations of an observational trial that we talked about, and we will have confirmatory data from, from prospective trials. Um, but I think we definitely see a safety signal here that needs to be discussed with patients. And Jason, I'm going to ask you a question that probably you, you were already anticipating from me. Um, do you think minimally invasive surgery will make a difference in patients with early cervical cancer undergoing a simple hysterectomy? So in other words, this is a, the question that has come up after the results of the, of the LAC trial. If, if determining that a simple hysterectomy is all that is needed, um, do you think the minimally invasive approach will make a difference in these uh, small tumors? 
how did I know I would get that question from you, Pedro? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's an excellent question. We've actually uh, performed this analysis, and it's going to be presented at at the SGO meeting in Toronto. So <laughs> the data is uh, is forthcoming. All right, so we have to wait till March to to hear that. Yes. And of course, it's yes. going to be there's going to be a follow up uh, podcast uh, after that. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> uh, so, Jason, again, I mean, obviously, uh, really very important study in. Uh, uh, and congratulations to you and your team for for doing Thank this uh, this work. Um, opens up uh, an, another set of uh, discussions uh, once again. Um, so congratulations. Uh, any uh, closing summary statements you would like to make? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just like your work with the, the LAC trial, I think that this study, again, you know, should provide somewhat of a cautionary tale of the, you know, the potential perils of adopting a novel technique uh, when we really don't have high quality data, even if there is a, a fairly strong rationale for the, the procedure. I think, again, as I said, I think our study, you know, is reassuring that, that for stage 1A2 tumors, we did not see a safety signal. Um, but I, I think we really need to approach those patients with 1B1 tumors with caution if we're considering less radical surgery and, and deviating from the, the accepted standard of care. Well, Jason, indeed has been a pleasure. I want to thank you again for your time. My pleasure. Thank you, Pedro.